Well, this has been a tough week for me. Uh, yes, ministers have uh, tough weeks. Uh, Megan and I lost a, a close friend along with many other people here at, at this church, and we will uh, celebrate her life later this week, um, a life that ended far too soon. Um, but in the midst of this week, I was rereading the words of Jerry Sitzer from his classic book, A Grace Disguised, where Sitzer says this. He says, the soul is elastic. It's like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering, and loss can enlarge its capacity for anger and depression and despair and anguish, which are all natural and legitimate emotions when we experience loss. But once enlarged, the soul is also capable of experiencing greater joy and strength and peace and love. He says, those who suffer loss in life live suspended between a past for which they long and a future for which they hope. And catastrophic loss, by definition, precludes recovery. It will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There's no going back to the past, which is gone forever, only going ahead to the future, which is yet to be discovered. Today we light the second candle on the Advent wreath, which is the peace candle. The message of Christmas, the message of Jesus Christ, has always been the message of peace. We sing these great carols during the season, and almost every single one of them has a verse about peace. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. O come, desires of nations bind, all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease, and fill the whole world with heaven's peace. During Advent, we await the coming of Christ into the world, the one that we call the Prince of Peace. And I believe with all my heart that as Christians, we are called to spread peace. The prophets foretold this. Isaiah said, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Authority rests upon his shoulders and his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When Christ was born, the angels proclaimed it glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among all people. And then throughout his life and throughout his ministry, Jesus taught it. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Isaiah writes these beautiful poetic words in chapter 11, describing the vision for the peaceable kingdom. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Duke theologian Stanley Harawas wrote this in his classic book, The Peaceable Kingdom. He said, though we continue to live in a time when the world does not dwell in peace, when the wolf cannot dwell with the lamb and the child cannot play over the hole of the asp, we believe nonetheless that peace has been made possible by the resurrection. Through this crucified but resurrected Savior, we see that God offers to all the possibility of living in peace by the power, 
by the power of forgiveness. Now, we know too well the things that keep us from experiencing peace in our lives. We can name those things, fear, being afraid, anger, which is tied to fear, pride, where our ego gets in the way, resentment, where we dwell on things that have happened in the past, people that have hurt us or disappointed us, being discontent, never being satisfied, never having enough. What I want to talk about on the second Sunday of Advent is how we find peace. How can we experience more peace in our lives? How can we be agents of peace in this world? How can we not contribute to the anger and the division and the hate and the polarization of our culture? I don't want to focus on the things that keep us from peace because we know those. We can name those. We experience those. I want to lift up a recipe for peace. And I'll share five with you today. The first is that peace comes through prayer. We simply do not pray enough. We do not take adequate time to communicate with God, to listen, to be still, to be quiet. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. We live in a noisy world. We're always distracted. We're always rushed. We're always in a hurry. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, Jesus says, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. That's a good mantra for this Christmas season. That's a good mantra for our lives. We cannot expect the world to give us peace. We must cultivate a prayer life so we can experience peace. The peace that the world offers us is, is different from the peace that Christ offers us. When the world offers us peace, it's usually an escape. It's, it's an avoidance of trouble and pain. But the peace that Christ offers to us is the, the peace of conquest. The peace that allows us to deal with anything that comes our way in life. Nothing can take this peace away once we have it. It's an inner peace that's completely independent of outward circumstances and situations. It's a peace that comes from God, and it allows us to deal with all of our worries and all of our fears and all of our trials and tribulations and all of our uncertainty and insecurity and all of our doubt and uneasiness. Because the world throws lots of things at us, Things that test us, things that hurt us, things that, that knock us down, things that level us, things that set us back. But if we have the peace of Christ in our hearts, then the world does not have control over us because it is a peace that we find within and it cannot be taken away. Henry Nouwen says this about prayer. He says, entering the special solitude of prayer is a protest against a world of manipulation, competition, rivalry, suspicion, defensiveness, anger, hostility, mutual aggression, destruction, and war. It is a witness to the all-embracing, all-healing power of God's love. That's why we pray. Secondly, 
I believe that peace comes through forgiveness. We can experience peace in life until we learn to forgive. Forgiveness, I believe, is a recipe for survival. In a world where we hurt each other either intentionally and even often unintentionally, Jesus says forgive. Forgive 70 times seven. And forgiveness has never meant that we are okay with what has happened. It doesn't mean that we have forgotten what has happened. It simply means that we have decided to let it go and to move on and not let the past drag us down any longer. It's what Paul meant when he said, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. The past is gone. It's done. It's finished. We can't change it. All we can do is learn from it and then move on. And so many of us are still holding on to situations from our past and, and we're the ones that suffer. Let it go. Learn to forgive. Learn to ask for forgiveness and let it go. Forgiveness is a Christian virtue. And nobody said forgiveness is easy, but Jesus said it's essential. Resentment and bitterness and toxic emotions are toxic emotions. And yet many people live with them every day. Duke did a study one time where they were trying to figure out the, the various factors that lead to peace of mind, uh, emotional stability, mental stability. And you know what their top two were that they found? The first was the absence of suspicion and resentment because nursing a grudge was a major factor in unhappiness. And the second one was not living in the past. An unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures leads to depression and disappointment. Forgiveness is the way that we let go of the past and we learn to live <clears throat> in the present. Third, peace comes when we learn to distance ourselves from toxic people. To experience peace, we, we, we cannot get sucked into unnecessary conflict with non-peaceful people. You know, it's always taken two to fight. If somebody's combative, manipulative, or passive-aggressive, and, and you get tangled up with them, then you have to play by their rules or you will not win. That's why Jesus said, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. This is simply refusing to get drawn into a fight. Sometimes silence is the best response. You can love another person and still not get drawn into their drama. We all choose our battles in life. Non-peaceful people like to fight. Don't do it. One of the keys to distancing yourself from toxic people is this concept of self-differentiation. Not letting other people's drama become your drama. Not letting other people triangulate you. So many times in our culture when we have an issue with somebody, we will go and talk to everybody else except for the person that we have the problem with. But the Bible says go and talk to the person. Maybe you take somebody with you that you trust, but you don't bring in other people. Human beings are often not very good at having uncomfortable conversations. We avoid them at all costs. We don't like them. They're awkward. And so somebody will surely ask, well, doesn't Jesus say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? 
He does. But he doesn't say you have to hang around them all the time. I'm all for reconciling relationships, but there are certain people in life that are toxic, and distance can be the healthiest option. Well, somebody will ask, well, what if they're in my family? <laughs> well, that's tough. <laughs> and that's why so many families have issues. You know, when it comes to family, we need to do our best to fix it. And Christmas is a great time to do that. But in situations where it cannot be fixed, then we have to stop exposing ourselves to behavioral patterns and interactions that are unhealthy. Fourth, peace comes when we learn, when we truly learn the power of positive thinking in life. There is enough cynicism in this world. There is enough negativity. There are enough people who will tell you why you can't do something. What our world needs are more people who are positive, who radiate energy, who encourage other people. Paul writes in Philippians, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, pleasing, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. Focus your life on these things. My friend Isiwadi approached her life this way, both at work and in her family. She focused on the good. She focused on what was right. We can do it. We will do it. Don't tell me why it can't be done. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's negative all the time. That's a sure fast lane to having no friends in life. As we've progressed through uh, this capital campaign to build a new building, to have more children's classrooms, to, to build a chapel, we have a bold vision for the future of Woodmont. And I find myself coming back to that quote by President Teddy Roosevelt, that it's called the man in the mirror. You know this quote. It says, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the person who points out how the strong person stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows that in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst knows that if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. What would you do in your life if you knew you wouldn't fail? Choosing to be positive and to focus on what is good is the key to being successful and it's also, I believe, a key to finding peace. Negativity and cynicism is usually a sign that you're not at peace. Finally, peace comes when we learn to live out one of the most basic and fundamental of Christ's teachings, what is known, what is called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If more people in our world could live this way, then life would be very different. You want to be loved? Then love. You want to have a friend? 
then go and be a friend. You want to be treated with respect, then treat others with respect. You want people to be kind to you, then go be kind to other people. You want others to forgive you when you do something wrong, then learn to forgive other people. But unfortunately, the golden rule is not golden to many people. And many people would be horrified if they were on the receiving end of their words and their actions. Henry Nouwen says this, when I listen to the sounds of greed and violence and rape and torture and murder and indiscriminate destruction, I hear a long sustained cry coming from the corners of the world. It is the cry of a deeply wounded humanity that no longer knows a safe dwelling place but wanders around the planet in a desperate search for love and for comfort. And so we sing in just a few minutes these powerful words. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace it was meant to be. With God as our Father, children all are we. Let me walk with my brother in perfect harmony. Let peace begin with me, let this be the moment now. With every step I take, let this be my solemn vow. To take each moment and live each moment in peace eternally. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. This Advent season and today at Walk Through Bethlehem, we celebrate the coming of Christ into the world, the one known as the Prince of Peace. And so may we live our lives and prepare our hearts in a way where we can find that peace often. Amen.